Millions of Americans earn and use credit card rewards. A few big box retailers want to take those rewards away. Rewards we use on groceries and school supplies. The cash back to save on gas and grow our small businesses. And travel miles we use to make memories. The so-called Credit Card Competition Act would eliminate credit card rewards. No more travel miles, no more cash back. When lawmakers help mega retailers line their pockets, we pay for it. Tell your lawmaker to vote no on the big box bill. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com to take action today. You know, in some states in our country, there are some extremist so-called leaders who are attacking DEI. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Friday program. A full complement of fellas for a very big week here, fellas. This is going to be good. It's going to be a great show. And may I say, that's a great hat you're wearing. What, isn't it? It's a fantastic hat. Isn't this a fetching lid? So this is my favorite one that we've come up with. Yeah, that's right. And we just got a big order of them. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling you're going to sell out like point two. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, look at this, huh? I mean, that's pretty Look sharp. Look at that thing with that's the red sharp. rope. And, the... and you got the American flag on the side. Yeah, we got like a, I don't know which side to tilt my there head. It is. But there, there it is. There it is. Look at that. Huh? Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, this is as patriotic a hat as you're ever going to find anywhere in America. I mean, I'm going to be wearing it nonstop. We I, 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 I stole one from the box. You, you <laughs> that one's going home with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the audacity. You yeah. didn't even pay. I mean. You know how I'm a stickler for that. Sweat equity. You are a stickler for that. You are a stickler for that. Yeah, got to watch the bottom line. You're minding the cookie jar, well, as they say. Well, you know, the rule in the drug game is don't get high in your own supply. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you had so much expertise in that, Michael. Yeah. Well, it's a very well, nice looking hat. I mean, and, and we just have an incredible array of ruthless merchandise at our merch store that the old man was kind enough to set up. Well, is it, it's a vanity. Is it a vanity or a sub? I don't even know anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's store.ruthlesspodcast.com. It's a subdomain. It's a subdomain. Yeah. Or you can just go to ruthlesspodcast.com. It's there in the navigation. And again, I would snag one because if they're anything like those Titleist hats that you're wearing, those were gone in in 30 seconds. Or, or, good merch. Or anything like that DC live show that we put out last week. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we had, we announced that uh, we were not going to go to California for the second Republican debate. Uh, but we were, we felt like we needed to do something. And yeah. so we wanted to do a live show, a live commentary on all of this and have a few of our friends around with us. So we set up uh, a venue, uh, right here in DC and sold some tickets. And there was like the eight minutes later, totally. Yeah. Sold yeah. Out. I, by the time I saw it in the Slack, there was no point tweeting it out. Cause then the next message was, oh, they're already sold out. You didn't all even right. get a chance to tweet yeah. it out. I mean, I still retweeted it. So it looked like I tried, but <laughs> 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 yeah, so anyway, we're really looking forward to that. Is there any additional detail? Uh, I think everybody who's gotten a ticket knows where you're going, but we're excited about it. Yeah, Walter's Navy Yard. And we'll probably have, we'll, you know, we'll see some stuff out of there, and we'll 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 make it worth everybody's while. It's going to be well, all the show. I mean, if it's anything like 
how much fun we had watching the first debate and having some pops <laughs> at the bar. I mean, look, I mean, if you live in the Washington, D.C. area, you're going to be watching it somewhere. Yeah. Why not watch it with the fellas? Why not watch it with the fellas and have a couple of yucks in the process? Yeah. Huh? Uh, okay, so big show, as we've mentioned. Uh, Congressman August Pfluger is with us today. If you haven't heard of him before, he's a whale of a guy, uh, also an American hero. He flew F-22s, and he's doing heroic things in the Congress right now, looking out for us on a whole range of issues. Not uh, diminishing the issue that we've talked about entirely. I think we've talked about this for like six months. The idea of this mandate that the Biden administration is doing for electric cars. Mm -hmm. This dude's all over this. Yeah, He's all over it, which I love. And you'll hear a lot about that and a whole bunch more here at the end of the show. Uh, guys, there's just so much bizarre shit out there. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. There's just so much bizarre shit out there that it's it's tough to keep focus on what actually matters and what doesn't matter because, like, I mean, this craziness. There was an interview, first of all, that Donald Trump did, which I give him great credit for doing. Uh, the woman now hosts Meet the Press. Um, yeah, Welker. Yeah, yeah, Kristen Walker. He sat down, and, and you know, there's, he's taken a lot of criticism over the years for not sitting down with adversaries. I mean, last I checked, he was on CNN doing a town hall, and now he's sitting down with Kristen Walker, who is now the host of, of Meet the Press, to answer some tough questions. It's what you do when you run for president, and he's taken some heat, rightly so, for not showing up in a bunch of places. But it seems to me like if you're going to do this, you're going to do just about anything in terms of answering questions. But what he said... <clears throat> in my view, uh, is noteworthy and hasn't gotten nearly enough attention. I think we've got some audio that I'd like to kick this thing off with. Mr. President, I want to give voters who are going to be weighing in on this election yeah. a very clear sense of where I think you stand I on this. I think they're all going to like me. I think both sides are going to like me. Let, let me what, but what's let Mr. going President, to have to happen is you're going to have to... This question, Kristen, please. you're asking me a question. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of weeks or months, you're going to come up with a number that's going to make people happy. Because 92% of the Democrats don't want to see abortion after a certain period of time. If a federal ban landed on your desk, if you were reelected, would you sign it at 15 Are you talking about a complete ban? A ban at 15 weeks. Well, people, people are starting to think of 15 weeks that seems to be a number that people are talking about right now would you sign that uh, uh, i would i would sit down with both sides and i'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years uh, i'm not going to say i would or i wouldn't i mean DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban would you support that you think I, that i goes think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake fascinating hmm. yeah i mean this is you know i i've seen a lot of discussion of this online in conservative circles of mm -hmm. you know we we had the dobbs decision come down which sent it to the states now it's come back as a federal question and now the question is whether it's you know the heartbeat bill whether it's a certain number of weeks this is the debate that i see raging online among conservatives yeah it totally is but i think so often trump is conflated with conservatism where you think that whatever the hard line is, is basically what this guy 
is supporting mm -hmm. and you know this is what the media does we've talked about this a lot on the show but on this particular issue there's a lot of different ways to handle it. you can handle it in the the nikki haley way where she's like look states are where they are on this and to have a debate about whether you'd sign a federal ban is to ignore the g political gravity of the moment knowing that none would ever reach your desk so all you do is sort of like light yourself on fire speculating about something that's never going to happen or like the DeSantis position where he's like, look, I, I banned it at six weeks and he signed law in banning it at six weeks. Trump, on the other hand, is sort of opened the aperture not only of saying like, I don't know, will, will I'd be open to federal legislation at some point, but it's going to be a compromise and I don't know what the number of weeks is. Mm -hmm. And then criticizing DeSantis. Right. He's given up the right lane on this issue. What's your take? Phyllis? So I, I think I think the timing is almost as interesting as the substance, because if you look at Trump's candidacy and his lead among Republican primary voters, it's only growing. And Trump knows, or at least you would think that he knows that his vulnerability is in these suburban collar counties around Philly, around Atlanta. And he knows that if he wants to be able to beat Biden in a general election, he needs to shore up moderate Republican voters. And so I wonder if he is already looking past conservative Republican primary voters all the way to the general and talking directly to these moderate these moderate uh, suburban voters hmm. who walked away from him multiple elections in a row. And, and, you know, I think you make a really good point, because uh, over the weekend I was taking a look at a lot of poll numbers and there's been some really interesting ones that have dropped lately. If you look at real clear politics, there's a number of head to head matchups between Trump and Biden where he's winning. Right. So I think his campaign is very cognizant to the fact that, OK, we're going for 51 percent in a general. Our message should reflect that fact. And like you said, you know, uh, we have a more populous strain of the conservative movement pretty much calling the shots right now in the party. And there's a lot of appeal that goes over to folks who may have been typically Democrat voters uh, with this UAW strike. There was this interesting piece in Politico of where a lot of union members are mad at Democrats. They feel like Biden does not represent them. Mm -hmm. So these are folks who may agree with Trump on economic issues where Trump has always said, I want to be the voice of the working class. And it's become very clear that the Democrats at this point are a corporate party. But would the abortion issue, social issues, scare them away? And is that why he wants to make this position clear? Well, I mean, I, I think that's fine. But, you know, Donald Trump wants to take credit for ending Roe. Like he wants to take credit for putting, you know, three constitutionalist judges on the Supreme Court, which, I mean, he should. But you can't end Roe and send the decision back to the state and then attack a conservative go governor for passing a harp. That was that was the thing I thought was be weird. considered a conservative in this country and say it's terrible saying the heartbeat bill is terrible. Like, I, I don't actually know what DeSantis's opinion is on the federal um, on a federal limit or w whatever. But if you believe in states rights and you think the decision totally. should be made at the states, he made a decision at the states. Well, that's what I thought was so interesting. And yeah. this is an issue. Look, there's a ton of them on the left. We have a handful of them, guns, abortion on the right that basically fall into the category of this is ideologically where we're at and we'd like to either accept incremental progress or we don't. And there's arguments on both sides of people pushing the hardest line possible and try to drag the middle with them and then people who want to just continue to march up those steps. 
abortion typically isn't one of those no. issues, right? Where you 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 basically have a position or you don't. There's obviously exceptions for rape, incest, life of the mother, stuff like that that have been broadly accepted within the Republican Party and the conservative movement for a long time. But typically you don't have a president, at least we haven't had a nominee in history, who's like open for business on the whole mess and wants to negotiate with Democrats about when the appropriate time is to abort a baby. Well, well right. and, and who exactly are we negotiating with? And this was my point to, to Nancy Mace, and I empathize with her position um, on attracting independent women, suburban uh, voters about how to talk about issues like this. But who are we negotiating with? Who who are we negotiating with? Because they, they want 40 weeks. Right. They want everything. Mm. You can't get a Democrat in this country to say, well, we're open to discussing. Well, in fact, they voted, you know, they 12 voted weeks. against it. They've had right. opportunities in the last Congress right. Right. to vote against like the last day right. of 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 birth. Right. And they wouldn't I, I, do it. I feel like more of the representatives that the Democrats have have that position. But I think if you like, you know, Trump alluded to in that segment, I think if you actually talk to voters, polling has shown late term abortion is not OK with the actual voters of this country. Oh, no. It's very much okay with the people who well, that's, represent the Democrats. That, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying, and that's why I feel like Trump is giving our position away. Like, in, in saying you're open for business with these people who are radical, who he himself, in the in the CNN town hall, said how radical, you know, the Democrats and the left are on abortion. He's sort of giving away, you know, I think our strongest argument on, on the issue. I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again. We are far left of Europe on the issue of abortion. Yeah. The Democrats in this country who want to mimic everything that they do over there, like they're like 14 weeks. Right. They're like 14 weeks in Europe and Democrats in this country are like 40 weeks, And as 40 weeks. As we all know, this issue historically has been one of the most politically charged on the across the board, but especially on the Republican side. So if President Trump's conservative opponents cannot use those comments to gain in the polls and find themselves competitive in Iowa, I don't know what and they I can And I think you use. just put your finger on it in particular, because if there is something, and I agree with everybody's assessment that we're now getting closer and closer to a point where nothing matters, <laughs> feels like his lead only grows every day despite you mm -hmm. know any of the atmospherics. But if anything is going to happen but a President Trump nomination, it's going to happen in Iowa. That is the one place where he's got a lower ceiling and other people have a higher floor than any of these other states, and certainly as you get into to Super Tuesday and beyond. It's also one of the most culturally conservative states. You're talking about people like Rick Santorum and Mike Huckabee who have won this mm -hmm. previously, right? And Ted Cruz. We're, we're talking about people who have pushed, uh, if not like an evangel evangelical message, certainly extremely socially conservative mm -hmm. message as it pertains to this issue in particular. So if you're looking at liabilities and you know that Iowa is kind of the one big glaring example of something that this could turn on this is an issue in iowa way more so than new hampshire yeah. or even south carolina it could yeah, trump, perceivably have a trump, uh, impact there's trump's other opponents trump's opponents need something big to gain ground and you would have thought that a bunch of indictments would have been something big yeah. that they could use to gain ground. Yeah. Now you would think abortion is something big they can use to gain ground. You, you made a really interesting point, Holmes, when you mentioned you know the evangelical voters who are such a huge part of winning Iowa. It's essentially been, like you said, Huckabee and Ted Cruz, who very specifically drew upon evangelical voters. I wonder how 
much of the evangelical voter base of Iowa sees Trump's, you know, position here as, okay, this is why I'm not voting for Trump or, you know, Trump's the guy who defeated Dobbs. That's why I support him. I don't, I don't even know. Maybe smug. I also think there's a part of the evangelical base in this country that has metabolized all of that, you know, I mean, thrice divorced or whatever, all of that sort of stuff, like the Trump stuff. And what they see, like, just like, nuts and bolts is like, well, he's, he's a negotiator. He's, he's trying to figure out a way to negotiate, right? And he's always been this sort of heterodox disruptor in the Republican Party. And look, it served him well. But, you know, if, if the primary voting was today, he would be our nominee. And it's not just the issue of life. He's done this on ton. He did this when he was president. And look, he had a lot of success when he was president. But I look at things like guns, for example. And remember, he did that thing with, uh, like, um, you know, um, a presser at the uh, the White House, and he had uh, Feinstein there, and they're negotiating on what they're going to do on guns. And he says stuff like, "You know, I like taking the guns first and doing <laughs> due process second. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Or, or like the first big fight he had with the with the Democrats in in Congress, he gave away the store on 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 the the funding bill. Yeah, the spending issue. Right, the spending issue. Like, yeah, I mean, even, if you're a fiscal just, conservative, I think you're. you're so, so, so that. What worries me is that because he is not philosophically moored to these conservative values that like we don't get out of Trump what we should. And and what I find like extremely frustrating and hypocritical is that the people that are loudest online who support Donald Trump and should be holding his feet to the fire in this are instead making fucking excuses for it. Mm. And these people will spend every day on the internet calling everyone a rhino. But it's not but but <laughs> You know what I mean? But yeah. Michael Michael It's so dishonest. They're, they're not running against him. We've just outlined four issues that should be vulnerabilities for yes. President Trump with the Republican primary electorate, abortion, indictments, guns, spending, and the only person making the case against him is Michael Duncan. Yeah. There are so many people running against him for president of the United States who aren't doing this. And I don't understand it. Even Chris Christie himself is doing some of it, but I haven't seen him on TV as much in the last couple of weeks. And, so where is yeah. the where is the right? I mean, even so there are statements from the right on the abortion on his abortion in, interview. And there the statements are like, "Oh, well, we support Ron DeSantis." When you're running a campaign against somebody, you're trying to disqualify them and their their credibility for yeah. office. Well, it's, and, yeah, but I mean, it's pretty tough to do when a guy's up fifty. The right? opponent, they also want a seat at the table. Right. And I think the great dichotomy of this is that he stumbled upon maybe the only position that anybody's taken that falls into like the fifty-five or sixty percent area as a Republican. But it probably puts you in like the thirty or less amongst Republican primary voters. Mm-hmm. It might not matter. Nothing else seemed to matter. And to the point that you initially made that I think is fascinating is if he's turned to the general and that's what they're doing over there, uh, it might not be the dumbest political move in the world. It's not going to be music to the pro-life community's ears. Right. Because like you're now in the negotiation table. Yeah, I think, look, it may be a smart general election strategy and we've seen some ballot um, initiatives in some, you know, Republican states. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, fall on, yeah. on 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 the side of, of pro-choice yeah and so I'm cognizant of that and and you know I think Donald Trump is obviously cognizant of that fact as well I guess you know just at the end of the day like this is a debate 
that is very, very healthy for the Republican Party yeah. to be having right now. It's the reason why we're talking about it on the show. If you support Donald Trump, you might find some of this really uncomfortable. But, like, we do got to figure out what our message is here, folks. It's yeah. why we had Nancy Mace on the show to talk about it. It's why we're talking about it now. Like, this will be one of the defining but also, issues. Yeah, and also, just don't don't be upset. Right. If this, if you elect Donald Trump president and he signs a 30-week ban, federal yeah. ban. Like, don't be upset for Right. Because they just told you yeah, what right. he was willing to do, right? right? Now, whether you can do that, I, I don't think Democrats accept anything mm -hmm. ever. The idea that they give this issue away no. under any sort of bipartisan and, and, and there aren't there aren't, there aren't 60 votes for anything and, related no. to abortion. It, it's not like if, not Donald Trump, if Donald Trump is the nominee that they're going to lighten up on the abortion ads. Right. Like, they're just going to run the exact same playbook on donald trump no matter how many times he says or yeah. i'm gonna bring peace on the issue no that's they're gonna say you you put three conservatives on the supreme court you ended row yeah. like or, they're, or, yeah they're coming at him both barrels yeah i think before he like even was uh sworn into office they greenlit that the handmaid's tale show like, yeah they're, they're they're very clear about the attack they're gonna take right right, right. totally totally all right well let's move on so we have a, a great friend of the program who's always like focused on the smart stuff. You know, I mean, we get everybody important gets, stuff, very important. Yeah, stuff. everybody gets tangential and, you know, all the outrage of the day stuff. And this guy has always stayed super focused on what matters long term. Uh, and he's highlighting a really important issue today. He's a very good friend of the program. Uh, we're talking about Grover Norquist. I want to welcome to the program an old friend of the program we've had a lot of fun with in the past, and I happen to think, I think we all think, he's one of the most effective advocates for any issue, let alone an issue that's near and dear to our heart. Limited government, low taxation. Grover Norquist, thank you so much for coming in. Delighted. Good to be here. Uh, listen, first off, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention what a good time we had in, with you in Milwaukee. That was great. Wasn't that a blast? That was right after the debate, yeah. We were we had the official uh ruthless post debate party with you and your crew. Everybody was just so terrific. We had a blast. Good pizza. Yeah, good, good everything. <laughs> yeah. Good everything. Strong drinks. Strong drinks. Yes. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, and yeah. I I don't think Ashbrook offended anybody too deeply, which was nice. <laughs> that was a great crowd. I mean, it was packed and not surprising because ATR is an incredible organization. Well, thanks. We had fun. It was a good, good, good get together. It really we're gonna, was. We're going to do it at some of the next ones too. Nice. Oh, good. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll run into you, perhaps a few. Uh, we're going to talk serious issues here for a minute. Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. We were doing fine on Burning Man before. But yeah, I mean, look. no. We, we'll get to taxes, taxes, spending, let's, icky stuff. Let's talk. Let's talk about the stuff that, first of all, doesn't get enough attention, in my view. And I imagine in your view, although you're doing yeoman's work to try to make it top of mind to most people, you look back at the Inflation Reduction Act, which was just an absolute catastrophe, a piece of legislation. Not to mention that it did nothing to reduce inflation, contained all kinds of junk. You guys are sort of putting a campaign together, not only educate people on what that's done over the last year, but sort of what it continues to do. They passed this a year ago, so it's mm -hmm. time to take a look at how much damage they did. This is the administration that ran the ad that said, we'll never raise taxes on anyone who makes less than $400,000 a year. Uh, $20 billion in energy taxes, mm -hmm. okay? Everybody uses that energy. It seems like more than $1. Yes. Hmm. They're going to get $200 billion 
from the IRS, 200 more than they're going to spend. They're going to hire more guys to go out and get it. Um, the Republicans put up a vote saying, how about we put in law no additional audits from these 87,000 mm -hmm, new mm -hmm. IRS agents on anyone who earned less than 400,000. Every single Democrat voted no. Oh, yep, weird, but yeah. we were told it was just for the billionaires. This is true, <laughs> that is what we were told. Ah. Um, and even now the IRS, the, in, the inspector general for the IRS came and said, the way you keep your books, it's impossible to tell who you're auditing and what their income is. How about if you did this to make that easier? And they said, no. We want we want the agility to audit whoever we want. Agility, agility. Yes. The agility is also, uh, you know, sometimes it coincides with party registration as we've come to find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 10, 15 years. Yes, that's a, well, that's exactly. I mean, it's a whole series of these. I mean, it was massive new subsidies. One of my least favorites is they have a 95% tax on certain prescription drugs, mm -hmm. which the government will choose in the same way they decide who to audit. Mm -hmm. So you could go talk to each of the companies. Could we see your list of 10 drugs? We were thinking, on, on my left hand, you could make a campaign contribution. In my right hand is a pen where we would pick one of your drugs and put price controls on it, okay? It's called a negotiation, which is you lose, we win. Yeah. Here's, here's the number that we negotiated. It's also called hostage negotiations. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, so here's what we'll do. We'll keep the prices down on certain drugs, um, and so you'll eat it, but you'll be able to do your other drugs. What they plan to do is take the money that they're dropping, taking out of uh, new drug uh, work, and yeah, that's gonna, research and development yeah, and all I, of that. I was just looking at a study from our friends at the University of Chicago. Mm. They say because you're putting price controls on it, there won't be as much new money coming in to look for new drugs because it might be subject to price controls, which means sure. you can't make a living, so invest in casinos or something useful. Uh, <laughs> be 135 new drugs that don't get done, 135 drugs. And the cost in lives, okay, uh, life years, how many life years will not be there because of what's not invented, um, is estimated 331 million life years, which is more than the first two years of COVID. All of COVID together Sheesh. didn't kill as many people just by, you know, it doesn't kill you dead tomorrow, but we don't find a drug that might have given you an extra two or five years of life yeah. uh, because we're not going to invest in something with that. Oh, and the money, the money that they're going to save by not paying for these drugs uh, is going to go into uh, subsidizing electric vehicles, oh, green perfect. cars for rich people uh, that are built in China. Yeah. Um, so you can see this, everybody loses. <laughs> everybody <laughs> loses. You're not gonna live as long, your parents aren't gonna live as long, your kids aren't gonna live as long, uh, but some rich guy in San Francisco will have a really nice EV and somebody in China yeah. can build a second house. And the, her the hearses will be electric. Yeah, that's exactly yes. right. Oh, oh, that's, exactly. that's very common green. sense. Yeah. Very common sense. And we'll call it the inflation reduction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, like, I mean, this is, you look back and what they've done over the years and mm -hmm. pieces of legislation like this, the one that rings a bell immediately is you do Obamacare. If that's not bad enough, you nationalize student loans in the process. Right, like it has nothing to do with healthcare. You're talking about something that was ostensibly to deal with the issue of inflation ravaging the American people, and yet you're talking about a Green New Deal plus prescription drug issues. And these, the whole idea of the Green New Deal 
is you make real energy more expensive mm -hmm. so that people can't afford it. Mm -hmm. And then they will move to the also much more expensive uh, wind and solar, which only work on times when the, the sun's out or when it's wind is blowing. And sometimes you need air conditioning when neither of those are the case. Um, I mean, this huge challenge, Bidenomics is taxing things you want to do, forbidding things you want to have, gas stoves, sure. uh, light bulbs that they don't approve of, shower heads, um, and then subsidizing stuff you're not interested in or mandating it. Okay. So it, <laughs> it's a great and, and line. To me, what really strikes me as insidious is like the common thread between all the things that they really target seems to be self-sufficiency in any way. <laughs> because, you know, it, it, someone else can't control a gas burner that you have, right? If the government's in charge of, okay, you can only charge your cars, right? You have to do it through us. You have to, the only way you can afford these things is through a government subsidy if you behave. If you don't, we stick the IRS on you. It's, it strikes me as just a very, you know, uh, very driven control mechanism. <laughs> it is to put more people under the control of state deciders. I mean, we, we have this sort of French aristocracy, government employees, federal government employees get paid about twice what normal people get paid for the same kind of work. Uh, state employees about 40% more. If you look at the pensions and the benefits mm -hmm. and how many days and hours they don't work. Now, it's probably gotten worse since they're not working from home, which is even less work than when you're not working in the <laughs> office. Uh, but they've created a, a, a privileged class mm -hmm. uh, of government employees of people who get checks from the government, and they disadvantage people who go out and have to have two parents working, just one to pay the taxes. Mm. It's just unbelievable. It really is. And I mean, as you look at all of the full parade of horribles in the Inflation Reduction Act, one thing that really stands out is what they're doing with energy and the fact that it's raising energy prices across the country. And mm -hmm. this is going to be an issue that plays in a lot of key Senate states in 2024, West Virginia, of course, but yeah. also Montana and Ohio and maybe even in Michigan. Don't you think that the, that Democrats are going to have a lot to explain? They do, um, and that's why I wish the Republican candidates would talk more about energy costs, about inflation. Mm -hmm. Every dollar in your pocket is worth 17% less than the day. If you put it in your pocket when Biden got elected mm. and then you pulled it out, it's worth 17% oh. less. If you didn't get a 17% pay increase during the first two years of, bomb, of Biden's administration, you're poorer than you used to be, mm -hmm. and that is most Americans right now. So the amount of damage, and, and yes, oh, we, we have an infrastructure plan. What is it? Uh, destroying pipelines. Mm. Uh, literally. <laughs> literally. Yeah. Yeah. That's our infrastructure plan. Yeah. Infrastructure is a French word, which means everything except roads. <laughs> We're going to build infrastructure, <laughs> not roads. What's so fascinating to me, just like broadening this out, uh, for those of us who've been privileged to work with you for many, many years, the movement that you built has been so successful that the sort of Walter Mondale version of grow government, tax people, tell them you're taxing people, and that's the way you advance liberalism has all but gone away. Mm. And they've had to become more surreptitious. Mm. More sneaky. Yeah, right? We, we have actually... Uh, since 1990, when Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush, unfortunately raised taxes yeah. and began to undo the progress of Reagan on, on taxes, um, we got it by 94, we had 96% of all the Republicans' House and Senate sign the pledge never to raise taxes. Mm -hmm. And they've kept 
there weren't. We haven't had a Republican vote for a tax increase since 1990. Everyone who did is either dead or retired. <laughs> that's, um, that's in the past. You're not a kind of guy to cross. <laughs> so I told it's them, a Clinton-like I told record. Them, <laughs> I told them nicely. <laughs> Don't do this. Um, but since 94, when the Republicans won the House and Senate, the Republicans have held Congress, both houses, half the time. And it's tough to remember, but before 94, for 62 years, going back to 1932, when FDR came in, to 94, 62 years, Republicans only controlled Congress for four years, mm -hmm. two years under Truman, two years under Eisenhower. We had one party state, Congress mm -hmm. runs America. Mm -hmm. Presidents have scandals, they start wars, but they don't run the country. Congress does. They write the laws, they do the taxes, and they can wait out a president. Oh, Eisenhower won't let us do this. We'll do, wait till he goes. Right. Nixon won't let us do this. We'll wait until he goes. Um, Congress is important. Since the Republican Party at the national level, not every state, but at the national level, became the party that would never raise your taxes. They may invade small countries they can't pronounce, but <laughs> they they will not raise your taxes. Right. Uh, they've, they've become a competitive party. Mm -hmm. Half the, more than half the time, the Republicans have controlled both houses of Congress. And you see that also in states where the Republicans said, we're never raising taxes, Florida, um, Tennessee, Ohio. They become increasingly Republican, mm -hmm. more Republican at the state legislative level, where they said it's negotiable, Virginia and Colorado, where Republicans did raise taxes, those states went blue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so not raising taxes makes us a competitive, the Republican Party a competitive party, and then there's some other things you can do too, which is nice and have candidates that are articulate, things like that. Um, <laughs> count to 10, distinguish colors. Uh, <laughs> so if we run you know, candidates who won't raise taxes and do a couple of other things, then you win. Then yeah. you get to govern. And that is ch that's why Biden is so unhappy because he only remembers things before 1994. And those are the norms. We won all the time. And if the Democrats <laughs> wanted to do something, the Northern Democrats, the Southern Democrats would compromise uh -huh. and do what they wanted to do. And they never had to talk to Republicans. Now it's at least a negotiation. And Republicans have been able to get some serious wins in on taxes and some other issues. Yeah. Well, it's also, it strikes us, and we were talking about this earlier today, about how the imperative of having at least one party. I mean, look, we've given up on the Democratic Party. I don't know how many others uh, share that opinion, but we've given up entirely on their ability to sort of understand basic market economics, or at least, look, I think they understand it. I think their whole point is to try to ruin the market mm -hmm. so they get the, what they want ideologically. But having a party that says no yeah. to stupid bullshit and, and like, you are the key cog, in in my view, of being able to sort of organize organize around the principle that li limited government means limited government. You want to hear some cheerful news? Yeah, please. Okay, here in D.C., kind of locked up, not logjam. Yeah, Republican House, sort of Democratic Senate, sort of uh, Democratic President. Not too much gets done. Uh, nothing good gets done. Not too much gets done. At, in the fifty states. Uh, we have 12 states where the governor, the Republican House and Senate have said, we're going to zero on our state income tax. Yeah, that's amazing. A year and a half from now, New Hampshire will hit zero. North Carolina has been on track for 11 years down to zero. Arizona is now down to two and a half and going to zero. Iowa is on track down to 3.99 in January, February of this year. The governor, the Senate leader, the House leader say, we're going to go to zero. Hmm. Uh, Arkansas announced they're beginning the path to go to zero as well. Both Kentucky and West Virginia have already voted the loss to go down to zero. And they do that by limiting spending and saying when revenue gets 
higher above what the spending limit is, the teachers union gets to steal some, mm. but the rest of it goes into permanent tax cuts. Mm -hmm. And so it just keeps triggering the tax cut down until you get to zero. Louisiana's triggering to zero. Uh, Mississippi, they got to a single rate. First, you have to get to a single rate, because mm -hmm. then when you take the rates down, everyone goes, oh, we're all going to four to three and a half? Fine. And the left can't play the envy thing. Yeah. But when they're, they used to have seven rates in North Dakota until they just brought them down to two. Burgum did a very yeah, good Burgum. job there. He's taken that tax to zero. But he's got seven rates down to two rates. At seven rates, if you try and cut them all together, I think Mary's is tax cuts bigger than mine. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's terribly good. Yeah. Single rate, everybody knows what's going on. Yeah. Oh, they man. can't use their divide and conquer playbooks. Yes, yes. This is the Richard Speck theory of tax increases, that if you can't take on everybody in the room, you take them out of the room one at a time. <laughs> the flat rate doesn't allow you to take people out of the room one at a time. And now's the time, especially with so many Americans struggling with inflation, there could be no more popular time to, hey, why don't we let these folks have more of their money? Yes, which is, and, and most of the candidates are out with a very good tax-cutting proposal. I'm, I'm waiting on DeSantis. He, he came out with a statement on taxes, which was, he wants to defend our low tax rates. Really? Our tax rates are low? Was Reagan he talking about it, Florida? Was he talking about the United States? The United States. The top rate, when, when Reagan left, was 27. It's now like 37. We're, we're going to defend 37? I can't do it. I hope not. I think we're going to get down back towards Reagan levels of, of numbers. And I'm not sure as many of the presidential candidates are as focused, or at least the press, and when they ask questions, don't like to ask about taxes. They're much more interested in people who go into other people's bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, so uh, I told you the same thing in Milwaukee, but in another lifetime where I had managed over half a dozen races, the first thing I have a Republican can't do is sign the pledge. Yeah. Because there's no position more popular among voters than saying the best people to spend the money is the ones who earned it with their own hands. It's a very simple message. Yeah, it, it, it really does divide the two parties more than any other issues. Um, there are a couple of Democrats who won't steal your guns, um, but there are no Democrats who won't raise your taxes. Yeah. You know, I, what's fascinating, the reason I, I brought up that Democrats are becoming a little bit more dynamic about how it is that they raise your taxes is, is because, at least at the federal level, I'm not surprised to hear that you're having a lot of success in the states. You guys have been everywhere all the time, and I think you've got an awful lot. Argentina. Argentina? You're working on Argentina? Presidential candidate Argentina signed the pledge on mm. national television. Jeez, I didn't know it was a global yeah. effort. Mm -hmm. Terrific. Golly, look at you. Yeah. You've gone worldwide. Yeah. Italy's got one of the part the leading parties runs on that. Huh. Okay. Well, look, here at home. Yes. Uh, we've got the Inflation Reduction Act. You've got like 17 different ways to increase costs for the United uh, for for average taxpayers through the the government what I always appreciated about working with you when I was under the dome was that you all you guys always looked at this dynamically and it's basically like if it, anybody's costs go up that's not that doesn't work for us yeah right I mean you can tinker around with rates you can do all the but what they're trying to do is try to take this off of the discussion of marginal tax rates and everything else and just increase costs elsewhere that flow through the government Yes, and they argue if they steal somebody's money and give it to somebody else that they've, and they subsidize something, they argue they've reduced the cost. No, they've simply hidden the cost. Mm -hmm. You know, they're talking about canceling the student debt. They're not canceling it. They're moving it from the students who went to school to people who didn't go to school. Yeah. So they're taking it off one person's back and putting it on somebody. They're not, canceling would be like go to zero, yeah. but there's no way to cancel it somebody it exists else, and it exists <laughs> somebody else is going to pay for it and that's a terrific irony of it is because the costs were taken out by the kind of folks who can afford it 
Their parents just don't want to pay for it. They want working class people who decided that going to college was not the best route for them to make a living to pay for their uh, loans that they can't afford in, in, in majors that can't make them money. Yeah, I mean, the left, you're talking about control. The left is setting up an aristocracy who live at other people's expense. Mm -hmm. and they, Including they, themselves. Yes, yes. And most especially themselves, I guess. No, no, they, they want to pay themselves more. They think government <laughs> employees should be paid more um, and work less. Mm -hmm. And this idea that you should come into the office from time to time that really irritates them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you want to get more irritated, um, you know, coming in, come to work on a Friday in Washington, D.C., oh, no traffic. Ghost town. No traffic. Ghost town. Oh, boy, I love paying taxes. It takes you 40, <laughs> 40 minutes to get here on a typical Tuesday. Yeah. It'll take you seven minutes. And it takes four out. months to pay their salary, and they only show for four days a week. Yeah. It's a great deal. <laughs> so I, I've got a question for you. Um, the rest of the year, there's a lot of important stuff that's going to be done theoretically in Congress here, uh, you know, approaching the end of the year. As somebody who pays close attention to all of this stuff when it comes to price controls and taxes and all of these mm -hmm. things like what is what is something our listeners should be looking at oh well the the how much spending increase takes place um what how the compromise is going to be worked you've got the question where the there's a group in the house that doesn't want to vote for anything that isn't perfect the mm -hmm. Freedom yeah. Caucus, or yeah. some of the people in yeah. the Freedom Caucus anyway. And so all it takes is five or six of them to walk out the door, and then you, then the Republicans don't have a majority anymore. And what happened the last time was then the Senate has to do it, and the President does it, and then the House has to eat it. So mm -hmm. by taking themselves off the table, mm. they think that they're slowing something down. They're actually ceding the control that at least Republicans have one House that's Republican. They could put something on the table to negotiate. Yeah, them. it's going to be better than the alternative. Yes. Yeah. And, and and this, of course, it's 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 very frustrating to, to say to somebody, here, we've got a majority in the House, but you don't get to run the country. When Reagan got elected president, I remember conservatives running around going, now we get everything, right? And he'd say, let me explain what the House of Representatives <laughs> does. And that it takes 60 votes to do something in the Senate because of the filibuster. And they didn't want to hear it. What's the matter with Reagan? He's been in for at least several months now and the world hasn't changed um, but I think that's a perfect idea uh, example because what Reagan did is then work with Tip O'Neill to fix Social Security at some level to try to make that a solvent program right and I think that one of the things that sort of infuriates me about this current spending discussion because it ultimately washes up on your shores as somebody who's a limited government guy who wants to keep as much taxpayer dollars in their own pockets as possible, is that we act as though this discussion is like a big deal. I mean, this is less than 30% of federal outlays. Yes. I mean, we're talking about an ever-growing pot of federal entitlements and interest on that debt that's ultimately gonna result in it cuts the benefits or massive tax increases. We came within one vote, John McCain's vote, of block-granting Medicaid and Obamacare out to the states mm. and saying, what did we give you last year? We give you that plus inflation, but that's that's the new limit. That's not going to grow any faster than the wages of the American people. And uh, 50 states can do 50 different approaches, like they did with aid to families with dependent right. children welfare. And most of them saved about 30 to 40 percent mm -hmm. because they could figure out once it was their money, they they then have to do some budgeting. Well, and they cared about whether anyone stole it. If yeah. it's mm -hmm. just the federal money passing through, they don't check. The numbers are too big. Yeah. Uh, so I think ultimately. We block grant all the welfare programs, Medicaid, the jobs, pro the, the 
the so-called job training programs, which don't, but they're expensive, um, and public housing and so on. Just block grant those to the states and let the competent states do on spending what they're now doing on taxes. Florida and Texas and Tennessee and Arizona and other states are having low enough taxes that people leave Democrat electoral college blue states into red electoral college states. So we're mm -hmm. redistricting the country mm -hmm. um, by moving people out of blue states into red states with lower taxes. Imagine what you could do if you also let the states be in charge of spending on these issues rather than Washington one size fits all. Some states could do much, much better. And the other one's going on is, as I go around state to state helping to income taxes phase down to zero, I run into the guy and you know bump into him who's who's doing school choice, who's getting everybody in the state a a voucher or you know here's eight thousand dollars in Florida yep. per child to go to any state you want to, any school you want to or homeschool. And now you don't just leave your blue state when you're forty five and you calculate in the next fifteen years I can make <laughs> this much money. I think I'd rather make it in Tennessee with no income tax than here right. mm -hmm. with a ten percent income tax. Um, as soon as you start to have kids, you go, you know, we could get 8,000 bucks per kid to, for, towards education right. and have school choice, much better schools because they're competitive. The, the public schools will get better yeah. mm -hmm. when people have the option of leaving. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, no question. He's got, guy's got ideas. Yeah, it's, it's like a conservative philosophy. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, wish, I wish we had more of that. If there's not a presidential campaign talking to you and your team, they're insane because you've had a lot of these ideas over the years. Um, I want to leave you with this. This campaign that you're working on now, atr.org backslash IRA failure, is incredibly important that everybody understand that because what they did here is catastrophic, and they'll continue to do it if they get the opportunity. Uh, yes. We should remember this the way we remembered what Carter did. This The IRA is the failure of the Biden administration. It's what they did wrong in the massive subsidies, on stealing people's money, on empowering the IRS to go after people, on setting price controls so that less money goes into d developing new drugs in the future. But put price controls on something you don't care about. Not, <laughs> not on something that you need more of. Like, yeah, like paper more, towels or something. Yeah, right? yeah we, could, we could live without paper towels. <laughs> I love it. Listen, Grover Norquist, one of the great patriotic heroes of our political time. Uh, all right, so Grover, you already had the three questions last time you were in here. Ashbrook's got the fourth. Okay, it's, I can take it. It's like you know, this is really big deal. Yeah, this is this is probably the most important question we ask any guest of our show because I don't know how closely you've been watching the animal kingdom and this uprising against humanity that we've seen play out across the news. Vicious, vicious. You've got a dog who has killed its owner, shot its owner. A hog killed its butcher, and you have monkeys running amok in Asia throwing toddlers off of roofs. Mm -hmm. So animals are after us, and we're looking for people to stand up for the rest of humanity. And what we're asking everyone is, what is the biggest animal that you think you could take hand-to-hand -hand combat? Grover Norquist, what would you say? <laughs> Do I get to pick the venue? Oh, yeah. Of course. 100%. Okay. 100%. Okay. Just no Fifth Avenue, objects. Fifth Avenue, it, New York, oh. a great white whale. Oh. <laughs> I, think I could get around him and outlast him. <laughs> Time is your ally there. It is, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the record. It is. Be that one. It is. That's going to be the a biggest, big, I think. It is. It's a big it foe. Is. It's a big foe. Well done, sir. You got it. <laughs> Thank you.
You know, you introed this segment by saying that Grover is always focused on the smart stuff, and clearly, as you just heard, he is. But I can't imagine how high our taxes would be if he was not that guy. Yeah. Oh. I mean, we yeah. would be paying twice what we're paying right it's now, scary. so they're already too high. Yeah. But I mean, like, if if not for his dedication to the cause, just think what you'd be forking over to the government. And just not a lot of people are talking about it. You know, I feel like I would like more of our presidential candidates to be talking about taxes or spending. And all. I mean, the American people are telling us in every single poll and yeah. one issues the economy and we never talk about it. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? But I also... And he alluded to this when he was talking about some of his criticisms about what we're talking about with taxing and spending here at the end of the year in Congress. But he's always about team ball and trying to find those threshold issues that you hold people's feet to the fire and then work with people to make sure that those thresholds are met. And like, I can't emphasize enough how important that is to ultimately getting the conservative things that you need done mm-hmm. it's just so funny dude because on the left or in the media you know i mean grover has been around for a long time they've made him a boogeyman yeah like yeah a, vi- a villain yeah because you know, yeah. he's you know is one of the reasons why they don't get to do all the things they want to do mm-hmm. if you ever just met the guy or you just listened to him you'd be like this guy's the nicest guy in the world and he's it's also incredible imminent makes sense right yeah. i mean everything he's talking about is perfectly logical right it all sort of makes sense in the greater context of what we're dealing that's, that's why they have to attack him personally because right. they cannot attack his position. It is it, it is a, his position that you should pay less in taxes because the money belongs to you. It doesn't belong to the government. You can't beat it. You can't, you can't argue You can't with that. beat it. It's, it's evergreen. Every Republican that comes back to it was well served. Um, all right. Speaking of, of underserved, mm-hmm. I got a lot to say about this next topic. I think we probably all do because I think it fuses a lot of our anxieties all in one. There was news uh, that came out over the weekend. This particular one is from Axios. I saw it in NBC and all other places. Uh, Schumer ditches Senate's informal dress code. Let me read uh, to you a couple of things. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has quietly directed the Sergeant-at-Arms to no longer enforce the Chamber's informal dress code for its members, Axios has learned. The new directive will allow John Fetterman, who tends to favor gym shorts and hoodies, over the business attire traditionally required in the Chamber, to linger on the Senate floor before and after votes. Uh, senators are able to choose what they wear on the Senate floor. I will continue to wear a suit, Schumer said in a statement. Um, I can't. This sends me to the moon. Yeah. The moon. Uh, first of all, the, the, for me, this is like a perfect microcosm of American decline. Yeah. In so many ways. Like, it, it, it's not it's not as graphic and as offensive because people don't have to, you know, most people don't go on the Senate floor. But it, it's, to me, it's sort of akin to like kneeling during the national anthem. It's like, it's a sign of direct disrespect. Yeah. Because it takes effort to put on a suit and tie. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than maybe smug, does anybody feel like they're more comfortable in a suit and tie than they are in gym shorts and a hoodie? Like, of course not. But you do it. And the reason you do it is because you're communicating to your constituents who sent you there, yep. that this is important. It's important business. I don't. You don't put on sweatshirts and hoodies when you're dealing with shit that's super important. That's what, so. That's the angle that really 
made me pissed off about this is the sense that there could be no finer example of how disconnected, you know, our elected leaders have become, especially on the Democrat side when they feel, oh, I don't need to put any effort anymore. That's the people's house. You're there representing the people who put you there and the people who paid for that building. This, this, it's the show some respect to do. the taxpayers who pay your salary. Well, that's the thing that the people, the House of Representatives wears a coat and tie. <laughs> Even they <laughs> do. <laughs> Even the House. Even they get it. But I mean, look, just to personalize this, I know Ashbrook definitely can identify with this. But when I first came to Washington, I we've talked about this a lot of the show. I, I was not like a creature of, of politics or anything else. I didn't. I wore a suit, uh, funerals and weddings. And I don't even know if it was a suit, right? It was probably like just a sport coat. Mm -hmm. I didn't own a suit. Like I had to borrow them from my dad when I came here because I had like, what do they pay you? Like 25 grand or something like that in the entry level. Like I didn't have two dimes to rub together. I had to borrow them. And I remember asking him like, how do you tie a tie? Yeah. And then I remember practicing in the mirror like for hours how to tie a tie. Was that because I wanted to be aristocratic about it? No. It's because I wanted people to understand that, like, it. I'm going to put the effort in. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put the effort in to try to understand that this is it. And it made me feel as important as I wanted to look, right? It was like I, I knew that I was going to put the effort in to try to do the job. And, like, if you told me as a 23-year-old, that it was perfectly acceptable to walk into the Senate chamber in gym shorts and a hoodie. Mm -hmm. What message does that send? Right, exactly. And what is so special about John Fetterman that's in a, 2023 that's that he doesn't have to wear a suit? I mean, think about the number of people who have come to Washington to plead their case before their representative government, people from all walks of life. And you know what they do when they show up to appear before Congress, either formally or in an office? They put on a coat and tie. It doesn't have to be Armani. Because Not it's have, a sign of respect. Exactly. And, and, and can I tell you, like, Bob Dole was hit by a mortar in exactly. World War II fighting for this country. It was difficult for him to have control of his arm after being hit by a mortar, and he got dressed in a suit every day. Every Think think about He went to great lengths to do that. Think about the people. You know, one, th one image that sticks in my mind is when, when George H.W. Bush signed the Americans with Disabilities Act, that he was flanked by two people in wheelchairs wearing suits. Yeah. These people did more for people with disabilities than anybody else up to that point in the history of our country. And when they showed up, they 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 did they they did more than any of the rest of us do on a daily basis to put on a suit. They they struggled. They put on their suit. They showed their respect. And it's just unbelievable to me that a hundred people who are supposed to be the top representatives in America's mm -hmm. number one preeminent democracy cannot put on clothes. You know, that the, the Fetterman thing is, is just like so performative too. the idea that this man is some sort of working class hero. I, I, the guy who bought, bought, bought his house from his sister for, for a dollar. He's a, a trust dollar. fund kid. Yeah. Who's, who, who's basically he's wearing this. Number one, we were told that, oh, uh, it, it, what's her name? Uh, Kara Swisher. Mm -hmm. I remember she got into this like heated argument online during his campaign of being like, how dare anyone question Fetterman's abilities? He's going to be completely normal. This is no different than anyone who has to wear a hearing aid. In three months from now, he's going to be back to completely normal. 
You're yeah. not hearing that anymore. Yeah. Now the entire Senate has changed their rules to accommodate his. This is selfishness. It's not like he can't do it. He won't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's that. And then there's like back to the whole communication. Like, what message are you communicating? Like, what is he going to do? Go, go on the Senate floor and he's going to start his speech. And, you know, the American people are really struggling right now. And he's wearing gym shorts. You know what I mean? Like, yep. what is it doesn't it doesn't it's dissonant. It there's doesn't nothing. match the seriousness of, of the debate that you're having in that room. It's the you disconnect know? is unbelievable. Right. It's unmistakable. Like, if, if it is serious, then take it fucking seriously. And also, like. Not for nothing, but, you know, I donate suits. I know you guys donate suits. There's a, a friend of ours, uh, this guy, and Andrew Kovalchin, who, like, goes around, sets up a charity and gets mm -hmm. old suits from people and makes sure that underprivileged kids who are trying to get for into a, a, a workforce, into, into an interview or whatever, have access to the suit. You have no idea what that does to a kid who's never owned a suit and puts one on. Yep. It is a big deal. It is a very big deal because it communicates to the outside world that you're like, you're serious. You're here. Mm -hmm. You're going to do it. It doesn't matter. Like I wore the same two suits for probably four years. They look like shit. They were probably tattered like at the bottom. I mean, they look terrible, but I wore it because it was like, it said something. It said that you were like putting in the effort. Like, look at our, our, our armed forces, you know, like, yep. They wear a uniform. They Not only that, but they shine their shoes. Right. Mm -hmm. They make sure all their stuff looks great. Do they do that because it's it's arist aristocratic? No, it's because it takes effort, mm -hmm. because it takes discipline, because it says something when your stuff looks great. It says something about your ability to follow through on the details and represent what it is that you say you're doing here. Like it's not it is is nothing to do with like oh am I a man of the people. Fuck it's, that. It's, yeah. it's, it's, That's and not again, it. made especially up. for Fetterman to come from, just like Duncan's pointing out, this is a trust fund kid who got his house for a dollar, has had everything handed to him, yeah. and it's still not enough. It's still not enough. He's like, why do I have to put forth any effort whatsoever? It, it, it just it makes me so mad. But, but if this is the level of seriousness that Joe Biden's America is going to bestow on my beloved Senate, then we're going to bestow the same amount of seriousness here on the program. Mm -hmm. And we're going to sell, sell some gear that we think is probably appropriate now with the new guidelines. Uh, Wolf, can you throw that up on the screen for our YouTube listeners? For our audio-only <laughs> listeners. This is fantastic. <laughs> what you're looking at is a new line of sweatshirt that we've come up with. It is all the distinguishing hallmarks that are necessary for a member of the United States Senate. On it, it simply says senator. Yeah, <laughs> and also, it, 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 number one, it looks sharp, right? But I guarantee you, roll up with one of these, you get to be one of the votes. That's you know right. what yeah. I mean? Yeah. There's, there's no mistaking who this person <laughs> yeah. might be. Yeah. And we don't have the image uh, for you, but we've also paired with this a pair of gym shorts, both a men's and a women's availability, and they'll be on the website for your uh, perusal and perhaps. Uh, purchase if and I, this is where I'm going to make a promise if these things fly off the shelf I'm going to go hand deliver a few of these to the to the Senate to get our guys to work I can't wait I'm going to do it because I just think it's just too you fight fire with fire like you got to right I mean if you're going to do this yes I'm going to wear a ruthless hoodie yep. in there and I'm going to just tell you to go fuck off yeah right I mean I think you should put one on yourself and see if you can sneak a vote in <laughs> <laughs> just go on the floor. I feel like, they're they're like, feel like they know who I am. <laughs> Mr. Fetterman, you're very well spoken today. 
<laughs> be making some very different arguments. But anyway, those are you know those are going to be available for purchase at the uh, subdomain. The subdomain store.ruthlesspodcast.com. Yeah. I think they're going to fly off the shelves. So awesome. I want one so badly. Yeah. I can't wait to get my yeah. hands on them. I'm literally going to wear it every day, and it's getting for the like the cold weather. It's months. perfect. It comes yeah. at a perfect time. Yeah. I mean, that's what you wear when you're standing by the grill. And you'll yeah. be ready to break a tiebreaker in the Senate, PB. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. You get a vote in the process. I love it. All right. So, uh, listen, we're all big football fans. We've been watching a lot of this. We were speculating a lot before the NFL season about the switch from DirecTV Sunday ticket to YouTube TV, how, like, everybody was going to take that. Mm-hmm. Uh, by and large, I think people – thought it was okay yeah you know i was a little skeptical but because i didn't know how they're going to do things like game mixes and stuff for sunday ticket and everything yeah. they have all that up there in the queue you can select them and everything i feel like the picture looks really good there is there is a little bit more of a delay yeah i, I you know ashbrook was talking about yeah this. and i've kind of I, so i i am an early adopter of cutting the cutting the court so i've been watching sports on, yeah, online for, for for quite a while right. and i i noticed the delay yesterday when i heard my neighbor screaming this there was this great hail mary pass that russell wilson threw to keep yeah, broken the, clock keep their hope alive <laughs> broken clock pass <laughs> keep their hope alive at the end of the redskins game and i heard my neighbor screaming and then three seconds later i saw he completed the pass so it's like so there's, there's some of that yeah yeah but but okay so this this is about the broader piece mm-hmm. it may or may not be a problem depending on your i'd be interested in everybody's reaction to it like this is one of those online let's talk about it type things because I think our view has sort of evolved and start, sort of still opening. But uh, this is according to Axios. Um, do you know where your TV sports are? It's never been more confusing or more expensive to watch your favorite sports teams as leagues struggle to figure out the best way to reach the most people in a fractured TV ecosystem. Leagues and media platforms are walking a fine line trying to follow viewers who are migrating to streaming services without making those fans so frustrated that they skip the games altogether. Okay. Except, like, here's a a good rule of thumb. If you are a league of any kind, look at the NFL and do whatever the hell the NFL has done. Yeah. For example. Because this is the most magnificent story in business sports forever. For the last like thirty years, and whatever you think of Roger Goodell or or his predecessors or what have you, like starting with about Pete Rozelle in the eighties to today, they're always on the forward edge of this, and they're somehow every time viewership sort of stagnates for professional football in this country, they figure out a new and different way to package it to reach a maximum amount of customers. And I saw last week the highest rated. Foot, regular season football game mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. was the the first Monday nighter and the most streamed in history was last Thursday night the Vikes and, and the Eagles I mean you gotta be something yeah. right yeah let, let me let me just say I, I don't know who wrote this story for Axios but it says a lot about their technical proficiency because <laughs> there has never been an easier way to watch football on Sundays you literally press a button to open the YouTube TV app. 
what pops up immediately are all the games. <laughs> you scroll over to the game that you want you by looking, looking at a picture. Looking at a picture. Or you can get the quad box. And you know what happens if you pull up the quad box? You're watching four games. And you can scroll around Which the quad one? box you want the audio. and click the one that you want the audio or click the one it, you want to watch. It's like, uh, I it's remember intuitive. In, in college, if you wanted to see all the games, because you're a broke college student, you can't afford Sunday ticket, you'd you go to a sports bar, and the one I'd go to had like this little audio box you'd have at your table, and you'd like click through yeah. to whichever game you wanted to hear. Now you can have that in your living room. Yeah, like, it's right. an age of wonder. It's, and it's far, the bar. It's, it, it's far better than like a, 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 you used to have to, because I didn't get direct TV. I'd have to buy DirecTV through Amazon, connect my accounts, buy the little Amazon cube, plug that into my TV. Like and that then was a pain. Sweat. Yeah. And yeah. then sweat like right. ten minutes before the game starts, sweat as to whether it was gonna work at all. That's yeah. exactly right. And today right? It's a today situation. it's idiot proof, which is probably why journos are having such a hard time. <laughs> no, uh, look, I mean I, I think the one thing they're highlighting in here, and this is definitely true, is like we unbundled the cable bundle and cut the cord, and now we've recreated the bundle on all the streaming. A hundred percent. The know? idea that cutting the cord somehow saved expense is crazy. Right. right. I mean, you, you got Thursday night football on Amazon Prime, yeah. right? And then you've got Peacock and Apple have these exclusive deals. Apple with the baseball and everything like that, and. You know, uh, and then you've got, I think there's one game that's going to be exclusively on Disney's ESPN Plus. You know, so it's like, it's frustrating if you don't have logins to everything all the time to be able to do it. The you most know? frustrating part, honestly, is to try to Google to figure out where it's going to be. Yeah. Right? Because you're doing stuff during the day and then you want to sit down and watch the game and you're like, okay, what? But it shows how many devices how, do, how, I, do I yeah. turn on? How many people are doing the same thing? Because the SEO, there's like nine websites that will be like, what channel is yeah. showing this? You know, they know right. that's an yeah. issue. But here's here's a theory that I've had is the reason this whole like streaming thing has become so expensive is because what 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 normal people want, what you want to see is like the sports, right? But all these streaming services have to pay for their stupid woke bullshit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazon's got their like 19 shows, which no one watches and get canceled after two seasons because <laughs> it's like a reimagining of, mm-hmm. you know, like a Peter Pan, except now right. he's trans, you know? <laughs> and no one wants to see that shit, but they paid like a hundred million to make Peter it. Peter Pan was and so, like, trans. And so like, now you got to pay extra to get that. And the Disney's the prime example of this. You know, they're finding everything that anyone has ever loved, any property that they've ever had, whether it's Snow White or anything from, you know, 70 years ago that they're now fucking up and paying hundreds of millions to fuck up. Well, we got to subsidize that shit because now Disney's ending up with that fucking game, yeah, you know? F- and ESPN is, is bought by ABC and Disney. It's the and smartest like, way for woke pro- that's programmers the to get regular customers who would otherwise right. never and espn itself is guilty of the same thing is they turn into this woke bullshit channel that people are like well i hate this shit and 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 they're trying to jack up the rates that they demand of cable people it's just this big mess where the whole issue is there's this cancer of this stupid bullshit that hollywood has given us which has driven up the cost for everything because no one wants to watch it but they're paying for it so that they can feel good about themselves yeah it's yeah, incredible. It's a mess. You know, the thing that really made me irate was week one in college football. I saw your tweets. And look, I'm guilty of liking soccer. You guys make fun of me for it. Yeah, you should have to work hard to find that. But That's the horrible. Fa- the fact that broadcast NBC <laughs> had soccer on 
British soccer on instead of the Michigan Wolverines in week one. You had to go to Peacock to watch Michigan yes. Yes. play. Oh, thank I, you, Michael. Thank I, you. And God like, bless poor you. decision Thank making. you. I mean, I get it. They're probably playing some cupcake and it's not going to be a super competitive game, but it's the big house. Yeah. This is college football. This it's is the a, opener. We used to be a country. We used to be a country. That- I'm I went to ESPN uh, this last Sunday because I like to I like to watch their pregame stuff. I think like Randy Moss and mm-hmm. yeah and and, and Rex and those guys. I think they're like terrific analysis. And in fact, turned out to be kind of right uh, this week. But like I turned it on a seven eight minutes late, and I went to the kitchen and I'm making something for the kids. And I look back, and it's like a national anthem with the Euros standing around. It turns out it was an F one race. But like they got to the end of the broadcast and wanted to show us the festivities of whatever they were awarding this F1 Euro Mm -hmm. F1 driver. And I'm like, buddy, it's NFL football. Like you cut that off at 10. You give us our stuff. Yeah, that's you know your constituency. Yeah. yeah, Also, what I don't get is, you know, there's an NFL network already. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they don't just go it alone. You know, because somebody pays him two billion well, dollars. How much revenue is it in, in going direct to customer with this? Direct to consumer. How, how, how much money do you think uh, uh, YouTube yeah, is but, making off of but all you, the YouTube, Yeah, but YouTube has a delivery mechanism that can, that can provide multiple games via multiple channels that are being broadcast by multiple networks all in the exact same place. I, I, NFL I think, Network I think the whole incumbency of streaming has gone out the window. When you've got people like Rumble now who have shown that you can get an infrastructure up and running quick, that's a viable product. You know, I mean, Rumble, I don't know how viable it is. You know, sometimes they mess up. But at the same time, I think the NFL could get there. I mean, if anyone can make these. If anybody games, could. And then we cut yeah. out the middleman of all the bullshit of like, okay, ESPNs, Disney, they all got to get their cut go of it. straight to straight it. Straight to it. They could probably deliver it in a cost-effective way. And I feel better because I don't have to subsidize all the dumb bullshit. But my number one issue mm-hmm. is why is the Monday night game Starting at nine. What Sunday night football? <laughs> it's like eight p.m. The game's gonna be over at at the earliest. You can hope it's over at eleven p.m. Well, you got. Okay, I that's think, that's crazy. But I think you got one Monday night game starting at seven fifteen Eastern. Yeah, the there's like two now. Eastern. It's like what the hell is going on? I here? do. I think they're trying start out the games. Times. The games should start at ten a.m. Eastern. Every football game should be over by seven p.m. Eastern. That's <laughs> but but done. you know what though, dude? Because because I'm with, I'm usually I'm with you on this, but there is something nice about you get the kids to bed going to bed go through bath night Mm -hmm. you know and and you put the kids to bed you put them down and you haven't missed a thing that's where i was on sunday and you can sit back down and be like i've i can now clear my head of all the i don't even see the process tell your kid go take a shower and go to sleep well (laughs) well, when they when they bro i'm watching the game the whole time when they get older that's we're we're past we're past bath time in our household unbelievable but the thing i can totally relate to what duncan's saying because once practice is over once homework is over once everybody's kind of moving on to bed you have 30 minutes hours whatever however long you're going to stay up to unwind and sort of enjoy football yeah it's like everyone has to stay up late because duncan's kids won't listen when he's like just take a shower and go to sleep man you're you're attacking my children (laughs) (laughs) well that's the thing is your kids are angels i don't see how that's an issue the biggest issue will come with major league baseball because they have all kinds of regional agreements Mm -hmm. and they are far behind they're the dinosaur and and this is yet to sort itself out there is going to be as big as having to transfer ownership of franchises over this issue in the next like three years, mark my words. Baseball's got a real problem. Anyway, uh, this is one that captured our imagination. Uh, this is from the New York Post. It's been published absolutely everywhere in the <laughs> English-speaking world, starting with a Twitter account from a 
uh, I don't even remember where it was from, but it was like either the Joint Air Force Base that lost this thing or not. But uh, F-35 jet reported missing by authorities after pilot ejects during mishap, quote unquote. Uh, U.S. military officials are searching for a missing F-35 after a mishap caused its pilot to eject on Sunday afternoon Mm -hmm. uh, from Joint Base Charleston, uh, they said on Facebook, and they also said it on Twitter and several other places, um, that the aircraft was a Lockheed Martin F-35 Lightning II belonging to the Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort. Uh, The pilot ejected safely and was transported to a local medical center. What I've come to find out, and it's not in this article, uh, is that the thing was on autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this thing is like, they're just like a satellite. This thing's like f- flying a sortie over no fly zone. Being yeah. like, where's my pilot? Oh, well, I got it yeah. covered. It's all, it's all, it's all fun and games till this thing like lands in Iran. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know how far they can go, but but uh, Joint Base Charleston Base Defense Operations Center actually tweeted out like, if you've seen it, yeah, here's a number to call. They yeah. set up a hotline. If you have found our hundred million dollar jet. That you paid for. You just let us know. I mean, that's a stealth activity. Bro, right if I find an F-35, that's my new PJ. You're not getting <laughs> it back. <laughs> you mean I can get to Miami in 40 minutes? Hey, possession's nine-tenths of the law. That's exactly <laughs> right. We'll call in the, our guest Fluger. I bet he yeah, can get that he, thing yeah. airborne. He sure could. I mean, holy cats. I mean, I look, I understand it's stealth capabilities and it's very very much not on the radar when it doesn't want to be but it's not a flying a combat mission over charleston yeah right and and like you'd think the transponder if nothing else would be flicked on from time to time so you know kind of where it is Hmm. now not in this case like so much explanation needs to be done i mean if also if i had a nickel every time i you know started to take off in in charleston having my day out at the bars and got lost and didn't know where the hell i was (laughs) (laughs) that's a very special part of the country for not knowing where the hell you are (laughs) known for its blackouts (laughs) (laughs) so if you've seen an f-35 which by the way i think is like the most technically proficient aircraft we own yeah so if you've seen one, just let us know. We'll we'll get it to the authorities. <laughs> Apparently, Nancy Mace, our last week's uh, guest who represents this area, came in and asked them a couple of questions. They had no answers. Perfect. They were like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Gotta love it. <laughs> and I, I ain't got it. <laughs> what an amazing thing. Oh. What an amazing thing. Uh, all right. So one quick thing here. Um, Iran. There's a prisoner swap Mm. that's uh, set in motion as $6 billion of once frozen Iranian assets reach Qatar. Iran and the United States will be exchanging prisoners, uh, and they've done so, my understanding is, uh, after some $6 billion of frozen assets in South Korea reached Qatar, a key element of the plan. Well, it's bags of cash all over again. Yeah, they're like, well, here, uh, maybe if we pay a ransom, they'll be good to us. What is it with these people and delivering pallets of cash to the Iranians? I mean, they mm. kind of like it a lot. It's unbelievable. And I, oh, I can't yeah. imagine. I can't imagine this would incentivize anybody to take any of our people in the future. Yeah, I, th- I thought we didn't negotiate with terrorists. What the hell is going on here? I don't know. I don't like, know. Maybe we- Hunter cut a deal. 
You got 10% for the big guy out of this. Oh, That's $400 million. That's not a bad day's work. 10% for the big guy would make a lot more sense than this. And I saw this uh, uh, interesting tweet uh, where it said that at the same time that right after the money cleared and they got the money, they kicked out nuclear inspectors. Like, yeah, we're not listening to anybody anymore. So, of course they did. Like, well, we got the money. Yeah. At this point, it, it was John Hassan uh, on Twitter. Great account. And just a, just a it, reminder. It's just unbelievable. Just, just, like, just a reminder. This is the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. Yeah. Funding has, for decades, been proven to go to Hezbollah, to Hamas, to all kinds of organizations that are actively targeting allies and American American specifically. With IEDs, and, and Trump put an end to that when he turned Soleimani into salsa. Totally. These are the people who are behind it. And, but we're we're acting as though there's a couple of 401ks that were just released. Like, and yeah, oh, you know, we're getting our peeps back. They're going to do good things with this money. I imagine they're not going <laughs> to put it. <laughs> they're going to do good. You know, they're giving it all to the American Cancer Society. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Moonshot. <laughs> <laughs> in other, yeah, in other news, Iran has cured all of the world's ills with the six billion. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. We have we have to hit this one because I need your take on it, and then we'll get to our interview. Sure. Uh, according to the Washington Post, a golden era of airline status is ending. Yeah. Uh, this week, Delta Airlines announced sweeping changes to a frequent flyer perk that will start in 2024. While the airline said it's revamping its system has simplified the Sky Miles program for repeated customers, it's actually dealing a significant blow to middle-class travelers inciting outrage on social media and promises from some to quit flying Delta altogether. Uh, in a Tuesday announcement, uh, Atlanta-based airline detailed how it would make it much more difficult to earn the coveted medallion status. Simultaneously, it plans to take away unlimited access for the American Express card holders to its Sky Club lounges, some of the swankiest in the United States. Uh, I have a, a multitude of thoughts here. Number one, when when this, you know it's a journal who wrote this when they say that the Sky Club are some of the swankiest Swanky. in the United States. It's like, you know, you give journals free food, they think they're in heaven to begin with. <laughs> people are animals and they deserve to be treated terribly. Uh, but also, they, they made a good point when they say that, like, you know, this is a significant blow to the middle class of travelers. Delta specifically canceled my flight when I was trying to go fly fishing in Sun Valley. They're absolute bastards. <laughs> they put me in Atlanta for like a 20-hour layover. I missed an entire day of fly fishing due to these people. They're all criminals. Our government should not subsidize these airlines. Let them go bankrupt if, 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 if they don't know how to manage these companies and take care of the customers. They make people sit on the tarmac. Mayor Pete is an absolute terrorist when it comes to managing the transportation in this country. It's a travesty the way that they treat people. And the airlines directly now are doing it when they're like, oh, well, it seems like people are having too good a time and tra- you know, travel isn't enough of a nightmare for them. <laughs> Let's make things far worse. They're, you know, they're not, they're not suffering. You know, These people are like in a lounge trying to like rehab from sitting on a horrible flight with crying kids because parents handed them an iPad and Blippi <laughs> was the right episode. I'm sitting in the lounge. Okay, so the airlines basically at this point I are- I would be in favor of this move. Well, I'm, in, I'm in favor of, airlines need Don't to Don't you be, want to make it more exclusive? Well, it, what airlines need to do is be held accountable. For so long, they've skated by with all these subsidies, from taxpayers while they mistreat people further. There was this like airline bill of rights of we're like, oh, you know, you can't keep people on a plane for a certain amount of time or whatever. They don't they, they don't listen to that at all. I had to sit on the tarmac 
at Dulles for two hours because they're like, there's some lightning. There's some lightning. Why are we sitting on the plane like sitting ducks? How does this work? Like the laws don't apply when there's lightning. The laws don't apply at all to these airlines. They're criminals. These are real bastards. And here's the other thing. Domestic. And another thing. America is the greatest country on earth. And the way that these domestic airlines treat Americans is a crime. You travel internationally and you're like, oh my God. How is it that the rest of the world doesn't treat us like we're in Guantanamo Bay when we're on a plane, you know? Like, like if, if you think of what, like, you know, business class is today, that means they just handed you a box of crackers. That's it. You're in a horrible seat with terrible people having a horrible time. You're all in this together. You know, it's like a trip from hell to hell. It's like Dante's Inferno on in the sky. It's horrible. Trip from hell to you travel, hell. You, you travel internationally and you're shocked. You're like, humans deserve dignity? This didn't occur to me. I only fly domestic. So I think I Delta Airlines needs to be held accountable. All domestic airlines need to be held accountable. You know, I hope we, we, we got some great centers, you know, like Holly. Um, oh, goodness. Uh, JD in Ohio. I hope they go to the fucking mat on these airlines. I just love them accountable. I just love he talked about how, how horrible this was for hardworking middle class Americans and then complained about his canceled flight to Sun Valley. <laughs> I was trying to fly fish. I was trying to fly fish. I won't ever forgive them. I hope horrible things happen to Delta. Their CEO suffers. I wish nothing was suffering on that airline. I've never, I've never been more happy that I extended this show one segment than I am right now. That was was one of the most epic rants I've heard in a very long time. They're terrible people. The man, the man has had it. He's absolutely had it. Someone has to speak for the people. (laughs) Oh my God. All right. So let's get to this interview. Rep Fluger, great guy. I want to welcome to the program a very good guy we're just getting to know here, but we, we've we heard from practically everybody that you know that you need to come on this show, and so we, we felt totally inundated, uh, and we're more than happy to do this because I'm just curious. It's Congressman August Pfluger. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you. I, I question your friends now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you got an interesting resume. I mean, you flew F-15s and F-22s in the Air Force. You were part of the National Security Council. Now you're a congressman, which, I mean, you know, how much fun can that be in comparison to all that? You played quarterback, right? A high yeah. school football uh, star. Yeah, you got a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff. I'll say, at least in the first part of my career, you knew who the enemy was. <laughs> <laughs> and in Congress, you, you don't know. Yeah. You really don't. You really don't. But uh, you're, you know, buckling in here. You're, you've got a, a serious national security background. Obviously, let's start with your time in the Air Force. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Well, it was it just it was an awesome experience. Mm. I, I joined the Air Force. I wanted to fly because my grandfather flew, and so growing up, I listened to his stories. I heard about. You know, just yeah. that greatest generation. I mean, we we were fortunate to grow up with grandparents and friends and family that that did that. And so I went to the Air Force Academy. We were a really good football team when I was there. I was not part of that. Yeah. I, I played a year uh, on the practice squad mostly. Um, You're like the tackling dummy. Yeah, the... that's right. You know, they actually we, we ran the ball right, and so yeah. um, they said, "Well, you're too slow. You're, you're never gonna." 
you know, succeed in this program. Uh, but would you mind throwing passes to our receivers during practice? <laughs> Somebody's got to catch. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a great job. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, after graduation, went to pilot training and was fortunate. Actually, the the week of September 11th was the week that we were supposed to find out the aircraft we were going to go fly. Really? Wow. Yeah. So that, you know, just coming off the heels of September oh. 11th, um, you know, I thought back to that day and it's, we're about to graduate. The whole world changed. My entire professional yeah. career changed, you know, um, just like everybody else's lives. But um, spent almost two dec uh, active duty decades um, deployed, living in different places, stationed in different places, flying the F-15, flying the F-22, a lot of combat time in Iraq and Syria in the F-22. That's Actually, a fascinating deal. Bro. It, it was. And like thinking back to that time, I mean, you had ISIS, horrible, horrible people, totally. you know, that were doing unimaginable things to the Iraqi people, to the Syrians, to everybody they could come in contact with. Then you had Russia involved in Syria, a civil war in Syria, Iran trying to take over Lebanon and, and you know, the whole Middle East. I mean, it was like one of the most fascinating times. Hard to figure um, out who your friends are in that. That's right. Back and, in the woods. You know, we... The the only thing that really bound people together there was the hatred of ISIS. Mm -hmm. I mean, even you know, there's no honor among thieves, but even the Russians, even the Iranians, yeah. I mean, they all hated ISIS. Sort of shakes up some mm -hmm. of the alliances there. It did. <laughs> yeah, it really did. So, um, but that that was a great time period. I was a commander, got a chance to fly a lot of combat missions and do something that I think really helped the not just that region, but helped the world get rid of extremism. But it's still out there, mm -hmm. yeah. and it's still a threat, and those threats are still things that we need to be focused on now. So that's kind of put this job into the frame of reference. Yeah, no but kidding. Loved, loved flying. Um, F-22 is quite a machine. It's yeah. awesome. If you ever go to an air show where the F-22 is performing, I mean, it will blow you away. It is <laughs> unbelievable how cool it is. But you're you're a pretty tall guy, yeah. so I can't imagine how you fit into that cockpit. Yeah, it's like your head is touching. shoehorn or what? How do and that's work? the first question that people ask. <laughs> and, and I always tell people, well, they first off, they quit discriminating against tall people. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, it is about time. I wouldn't have it? survived in World War II. You know, you, I couldn't have fit in the airplane. Yeah, it's so, always so. it's always the tall guys who get a you know a real bad shake in life. It really <laughs> is. I, you I see the irony that. here? Yeah. yeah. Put some humor into this. Well, let somebody stand up for the tall and a <laughs> oh, oh man! You can lower the seat. You can kick the pedals out. There you go. There and, you go. And big people can fit in the uh, okay. the plane. That's yeah. good. That's amazing. Well, I mean, I don't know anything about it, but it just appears watching those things fly that you're just dealing with a totally different aircraft. It, it is. It's it's digital. You know the the stick like most older aircraft, third generation, fourth generation. They the stick actually moves quite a bit. You know you can you can move it. Uh, to control the plane and you can feel what the plane's doing but in, in the case of the f-22 it's about a quarter of an inch of travel wow, wow. So, smokes is that right it's all sensors and you know it's just you, you kind you of want to overcorrect one. with that situation no, you do not <laughs> air refueling you know you're right there next to the uh Ooh. the tanker yeah you don't want to get the yips on that deal. no no <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh well look one of the other things that's sort of become a hobby horse here on the ruthless variety program that we know that you are very into is following along with this Biden administration electric vehicle mandate situation, which we just find completely abhorrent for so many, many reasons. But I know you've spent a lot of time looking into this. Well, as a matter of fact, just 30 minutes ago, I was questioning an assistant secretary of the Department of Energy. Oh, oh wow. These guys have no clue. 
I mean, to say that they have no clue, you know, you start with the secretary, you know, she goes on this road trip this past weekend and their advance car, the only smart, those that want to attack her, let me take up for her for just a half a second. She made a very smart decision sending an internal combustion engine vehicle in, in the advance party. Because yeah. <laughs> she knew it's reliable. Right. Yeah, right. But, but, you know, then they get, to the, they get to the charging station and there's apparently a family with a baby and the, the mom is like, wait, what? You are literally hogging the, the charger? Did you guys see the story? Yeah. I mean, it's just Wild. crazy. Well, they were like holding a spot They're for the secretary, for. right? Yeah, with a gas-powered Think, thankfully, gas-powered vehicle. Which is just, of course, the irony is that they want to sell the idea that this is like not only an easy thing to charge, but it happens quickly, and we've got all this capacity, which we obviously do not have. No, we don't. I mean, it really was an episode out of V. It's incredible. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I mean, yeah, seriously. It is the thing that Saturday Night Live used to right. take advantage of. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Where are they now? Come on. Uh, but, you know, just a half hour ago, I was questioning this assistant secretary, and like I've done before with other members of the administration, my first question is, how much electricity do we use in this country annually? No clue. I, no isn't clue. Isn't that a job? The, uh, seriously, it's in their job description. And so then I asked the guy, I'm like, what do you pay for your electricity bill right now? Well, uh, yeah, he said... Well, I have auto pay, so I'm not sure. I said, listen, in my district, everybody knows what they're paying. And then I asked him, would you please grade the administration on one of your core tenants? This is the subject matter expert on electricity. I mean, he is literally the assistant secretary on electricity for the administration. I said, grade the admin, grade Biden on affordability. Well, you know, we I, there's some things we... And I'm like, stop. It's F minus. Right. <laughs> you know, so you get to the EV mandate. They don't know how much electricity we use right, right. now. They have no clue what we're going to need in the future. They send out the search party for the secretary's road trip to find a charger, to find a charging station. And nothing against EVs. Go buy one. My district, they don't work. <laughs> right. You know, right. it's 317 miles from Odessa, Texas to Colleen. That's right. a long way. Yeah, that's a tougher deal to find a charging station you, there. Yeah. Too. yeah. I mean, and people, ranchers, farmers, I mean, that it just doesn't work. And so. Not to mention if you show up at one of these ranchers or farmers with a. <laughs> yeah. The golf, <laughs> like, golf hey, cart. That's yeah. great, great golf yeah. cart, Bell. W- wonderful on uh, the reliability fact. Oh, and, and the secretary, she's pushing for him in the military. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love Senator Joni Ernst's uh, description of this. She's like, "Yeah, can you imagine going into Baghdad and and pulling over and be like, hey, anybody seen a charging station? That can <laughs> charge our tanks.' <laughs> but that's the kind of thing they're pushing. Yeah, it's just it's unbelievable. So, you know, you put all this together, they don't have a plan, right? And and they're literally trying to mandate what we drive. I mean, this is uniquely American to go on a road trip, and yeah. they're going to screw that up. Yeah, well, they are, and you're also seeing car companies basically trying to figure out whether they have to sue for peace here and, no. and and get involved with the administration to try to meet some mandate that may or may not come down the road and others just saying like we can't do it it's just not possible it doesn't make sense 287 million vehicles on the roads in the country and less than five percent of those are evs and yeah. good for those people for for those that can afford them, first off, because they're twenty or thirty thousand dollars more than internal right. combustion cars, but also, if it works for you, great. But it doesn't work for everybody, and it doesn't work in every situation. And Nor could you ever find the back raw this. materials necessary to produce it right. without completely being beholden to China, basically. Which the uh, CEO for BMW in a Wall Street Journal article last week said, "Hey." 
We're raising the white flag on this because the only thing this is going to do is push manufacturing to China. Yeah. It's already happening for critical minerals, but now it's in fact happening for the actual cars. Yeah. You know, that that's, you know, for the Germans who produce Audi and BMW and Mercedes, Volkswagen. I mean, that's a that's a big statement for them to come off their policies and say this doesn't work. Yeah. Well, if anybody's had an up close look at bad uh, energy policies, it's it's, it's the Germans. Yes. <laughs> well, or or California for that matter. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, especially in the summer months, if you you know, because they they break out all of the grid capacity, right? And you'll see the renewables being a share of the overall electricity grid, and renew you know the renewables and the and the the wind farms and whatnot. And then when that capacity goes to zero, how do they backfill? to keep people's lights on. Mm -hmm. It's the oil, natural gas that is produced in your district, yeah. right? <laughs> That's backfilling. And then and then and then they can, they have no answer of how they're going to create the capacity with uh renewables to fill that gap and plug in millions and millions of electric vehicles into that grid as well. It's bizarre to me no that clue. like right in front of our faces is the evidence that this is a failed policy and yet the administration hasn't really been forced to answer that question, and they have no answer. They, they have no answer, and, and let's take it back to fighter pilot days. Mm -hmm. I'm a caveman when it comes to thinking about this. <laughs> Potential energy and kinetic energy, airspeed and altitude. Mm -hmm. If you don't have airspeed, you better have some altitude. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and on their grid, they've way. got neither. Right. They, yeah. they don't have airspeed or altitude. And by the way, I was in um, Houston Last week, September 7th, we were looking at this very thing on the Texas grid. And on that day, this was the first day since Winter Storm Uri where yeah. the grid has had to declare an emergency. And of the percentages in the breakout, 70% mm -hmm. by fossil fuels, mm -hmm. natural gas, and coal. Another 10 to 15% by nuclear. So mm -hmm. then you're looking at less than 15%. Where was wind? I, look, I've got nothing against wind. If it works, that's great. Let's quit sub subsidizing it in the way yeah. that we are. And let's let it work when it works, but it's not dispatchable. Mm -hmm. And we needed it that day, and it wasn't there. And yeah. they had to basically declare an emergency. That's uh, unbelievable. Plus, you know, it's not windy everywhere. That's right. <laughs> just like, <laughs> like, it's just an observation. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. Well, we appreciate your work on this, because I feel like this is one of those issues that has flown below the radar because of all of the emergency types, pocketbook stuff on the top with inflation, which, by the way, Today, it seems like it's getting worse again. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of like, it, it falls into that liberal pipe dream thing that just keeps marching ahead, despite the fact that everybody is totally confounded as to how it is that they're going to do it. it I, and that's a great analogy. It's a pipe dream. Yeah. You know, if you wake up in a world in the morning where you're in the darkness, you light a candle, <laughs> your phone doesn't work, you know. You, you try to go outside and drive your electric car, but it's not charged. Right. This is the pipe dream. That's where they're headed. You yeah. Know? I mean, you know, this is where we're headed. Burning wood back in the houses to heat your home. I mean, this is where we're headed. <laughs> you know, this is where they're going to take us. Until they outlaw fire, which I'm sure is next. <laughs> uh, listen, we have three big questions that we give to everybody. Okay. And you're going to get a fourth here because uh, the guy at the end of the table has come up with one that, frankly, has become a little bit of a signature here. But uh, we start by asking everybody if you could plan your last meal on Earth. Oh, wow. What would it be? Um, okay. Well, 
It would not be a vegan meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. <laughs> I, was, yes, I, I felt like that was headed in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're going to have to start with some good old Texas beef. There you go. Okay. You know, Figured that probably, was happening. Uh, uh, probably a New York strip or uh, ribeye. Yeah. Um, I get some flavor involved. Yeah, you got to get some flavor involved. Um, uh, you know, all the things around that steak dinner. That's yeah. what it's going to be. You need be. some potatoes yeah. and some, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's good. A big bottle of wine, or are we talking? Uh, like a, absolutely. Yeah, um, because you, know. you can slide in sideways on your last meal, right? There's nothing tomorrow <laughs> right. you have to worry about. You're not worried about the waistline. We're not counting calories. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't you have know, to slip you, into an F22. Yeah, to no, you, you've got to go. You've got to do it right. You have to have, you know, a nice um, appetizer, probably mm-hmm. some shrimp. Then you get the steak. Then uh, have a nice glass of wine with it. There you go. Um, and then, you know, for dessert, it's like if I'm eating with my family and my three girls, they're going to order some dessert, you know, yeah. and, and it's going to be a, you know, ice cream for the youngest and probably some cheesecake and maybe something chocolate. And nice. it, I'll get to enjoy all you of it. You can have all of it. There you have all of it. That's perfect. All right. So our second question is, it's basically like if you look back on life and if you never got into public service, you weren't in the military, uh, in the Air Force for, for 20 years. And you have this blue sky to do anything you want, right? This gap of, with the benefit of retrospect, you could do anything. What would it be? Wow. Um, I, I wouldn't change anything. Wow. About, you know, about what I'm doing. Yeah. It's, I mean, not even if the NFL called. Yeah. Because that okay. feels like, yeah. if, if Ted, I, if I could be, said he's going to play in the NBA. If, if, if I could be said. a drummer for a rock band yeah there you go that's <laughs> it that's it i knew it was in there okay i knew it could be you, you we guys go, are good yeah um, we could go way off the yeah. i mean literally ted cruz told us he would be a power four yeah. in the nba so you think about that well we saw him play basketball yeah, yeah. so yeah i, I have my that probably is still yeah. you know he gives me a hard time a little bit about the baseball team and uh you know kind of egging me on i think that's why i hit three democrats this year yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, i thought yeah. that was part of the game plan yeah well <laughs> Maybe some intimidation. Yeah. No, I think being a drummer for a rock band because uh, yeah. I can't sing. You know, I, I love music, but I'm horrible at it. Sure. <laughs> so, so drums feels like something. And so you could drums would be like you know, kind of the middle ground. Yeah. Are, are, is there like a particular drummer you would like, like to emulate? Mm. Like a Neil Peart? You know, like a, I, I'm gonna really stay away from. Deep. Yeah. I mean, that's. Well, just like, you know, you look at the '80s hair bands. I mean, yeah. these guys were. They were rock stars. Yeah, you know like, that life may not be. be. You may not want to live that lifestyle for very long. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's kind of where I like my rock stars, yeah. right? I don't want to I, like right on a razor's edge. Yeah, well, yeah. he certainly shouldn't be a role model. They're yeah. they're rock. Well, look, growing star. up in a in a home where watching MTV was not yeah. what my parents allowed us to do. Yeah, I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, you know, no. But if I could go back, that would be the ultimate rebellious move. Yes. You know, like, look, I'm on MTV and I'm playing the drums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, I do. I've got one question before you get to your last okay. one that I'd like to throw in. Yeah. Something that we here at the Variety Program have noticed is that the animal kingdom is sort of rising up against mankind. I don't know if you've seen this, but we've seen stories about it. It's a dog, a dog shot its owner. There was a <laughs> hog that literally killed its butcher. <laughs> And there are these monkeys in Asia throwing kids off of roofs. Yeah. So not to some, mention the bears. The, yeah, not to mention. So there's something going on in the animal kingdom, and we're on the hunt for good men and women who can help <laughs> us stand up to this. 
And so what we <laughs> the what uprising what we'd like to it. what we'd like to ask you is what is the biggest animal that you feel like you could take on mano a mano yeah, just no, just with your bare hands bare hands no no foreign objects yeah no, grizzlies twenty two yeah grizzlies probably too small <laughs> uh, you know we're probably looking somewhere in the water you know, great white <laughs> that's great hey animals. Are dangerous. Yes. Okay. I, <laughs> See, he gets you it. haven't yeah, even you haven't even asked me about growing up on a ranch. Yeah. yeah right. But I did. Um, and so cattle, sheep, and goats. All you know. It doesn't matter. The size of the animal sometimes is it's, irrelevant. It, uh, you know, right. When they get it in their mind and they're in a corner, like you better watch out. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> he that, gets. Have it. you he ever been run over by a calf? No. That's that. You know, when you get run over by. A, a very cute little baby calf and you're like wow you know i out, i actually outweigh that thing and i got run over <laughs> and can you imagine didn't see that coming a steer a bull you yeah. know as they get bigger that would be problematic um, so i think size may not be the it's the what state are they in are they cornered yeah, right <laughs> yeah terrain matters a lot in a situation yeah. like this but yeah. strategy's yeah. up to you on yeah. this strategy's up to you right yeah. so you, you i mean know. you could find something if it's in a corner maybe that's not the yeah. day maybe they, they, you keep your I, I would distance. like i would like to think that you know going up against um that in between you know you're a steer and, and not quite a bull mm. you know? yeah yeah it's somewhere in there might, yeah but but the outcome is not going to be good <laughs> <laughs> i love that and i imagine there is dealing with that on the ranch there's probably some do's and don'ts there are do's and don'ts yeah do not stand directly in front of it in the you know 45 degrees aft of any sort of mm -hmm. oh, yeah. you don't want to hoof to the face yeah cow steer bull you're, you're gonna get kicked you know? yeah. so. in the aft as they say yeah. <laughs> all right so uh last question is and this is a little esoteric so you know i gotta explain it a bit our view is that almost every successful person is motivated by one of two things the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat and it's not that anybody enjoys losing. And it's certainly not that anybody like hates winning. It's what motivates you to keep going. Mm -hmm. And your climb as an individual to sort of reach new heights is always a base motivation from somebody. Mm -hmm. The agony of defeat guy's always like Michael Jordan, right? There are heaps. And a really good comparison I've come up with lately is like Tiger Woods is the agony of defeat guy. Phil Mickelson's the thrill of victory guy. And it and it's just kind yeah. of like a yin and yang. So we ask everybody, where do you think That's you find yourself on that? You guys are you're getting deep. Yeah, <laughs> I, we we like to know people here. You're, you're getting deep. Okay, uh, so this is a four ship right here. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the fighting force for your for your air combat. Yeah, um, platforms the F twenty two. So you're number one. I'm number two. You're number three. You're number four. So it's 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 a mixture of both. But the agony of defeat drove us mm. because. You know, first off, every flight hour you have, you do seven, eight, ten hours of debrief. You come back, you watch the tapes, you look at what happened, you yeah. figure out where did you go wrong. But my biggest concern, and and this is on the defeat side, is us losing somebody in this force ship. Yeah. yeah. So simulated warfare, when you go out, you don't want to let the other person down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to perform because their life literally is depending on it. I literally have your six o'clock i'm watching your back i want to make sure that if there's an attack that i'm able to defeat it yep. and the same goes for all of us you're doing the same for me vice versa uh and when it comes to the political side i've translated that that mindset to yeah victory is is great but 
you don't want i mean our policies what we're pushing for the the pushing back against the ev mandate the, the agony of defeat is that you see millions of americans suffering yeah because of that's this. a really great way to frame and it's it's like we are being defeated by bad policy mm-hmm. and self-induced it's self-induced and i honestly i think the biggest problem right now in the republican party is a lack of willingness to just get on board with a strategy it's not the end game we all kind of want the same yeah. thing i in fact i can't find any daylight yeah of any of the 223 republicans in the house and and i'm certain for the senate of what we want yeah it's a strategy and it's a tactic which i've prided myself in for two plus decades um and it i, I have been driven by the agony of defeat because you it it meant somebody was actually going to lose their life, which I have plenty oh, of friends. Oh, that's a great answer. It did, so. It's a great, you brought yeah. it full circle to make it yeah. relevant to politics, too. Yeah. That's one of the best ones we've heard. I, I think I'm very going to say Well, you guys are complimentary, but uh, do you tell every, every guest that? Uh, well, just a little bit. We, <laughs> we butter some bread, but that was actually, yeah, that, that was, was pretty good. That was pretty good. good. Listen, I know we got to get, get you out of here for votes, but I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. Congressman August Pfluger, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I still don't understand how a guy who's like 6'2", 6'3", fits into a cockpit of an F-15 or an F-22. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I thought that was like, a cutoff, but I mean, he, he made it in the plane, like, he made it happen. He made it sound like it was a bit of a trick. Yeah. Like he had to, he sort of had to do like the gymnastics to get in there, but you know. Yeah, like, maybe he's the upper bound. I think that's And probably. the F-22 is a hell of a plane. I mean, that is a yeah. serious plane. Not going to lose that one. Yeah. No. Probably going to keep eyes on it. <laughs> I can't. We should. I wish that this story came out before we interviewed him because I would have loved to have known how this is even possible. Yeah. There's, just pull. And the best African goose pulling the shoe. The best part is you're just watching the plane keep on with the mission. You're like, I got it, bro. <laughs> There it goes. A Battle pilot's got it under control. A billion dollars right over <laughs> the Atlantic. I was going to say, I, I hope the thing was carrying the Iranian pallets of cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only good that could come of that situation. Oh. My God. All right, fellas. Fellas, I think we did it. I think so. Absolute banger of an episode. Gentlemen, thank you so much, Congressman Fluger. Thank you so much to Grover Norquist, absolute conservative hero. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith. Hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.